like we never left. It's Double Move Sports. I'm Steph Albiero. I'm here with my guy, the fantasy phenom, Alex Lott. Say what's up to the people. Let's go. I am so excited to talk some football today. I've been moving, moving furniture for the past two days. My fiance is moving into, into our new place. So super exciting there, but I'm just toast right now. Like my biceps are shot. <laughs> I'm ready to just sit back. Throw some hot takes on the table and get ready for draft season. And Steph, I know our our home league drafts this week, so could not be more excited about that. It's going to be a great day of backyard football, wings, beers, and then of course our drafts. So I, I couldn't be more excited to talk football today. And it's that's going to bring up a lot of good talking points in, in all these leagues, guys. We got drafts coming out soon. If you have any questions for us, you're asking about hey. Who should I be eyeing at different levels of my draft? I know a lot of your leagues, you can trade draft picks. There's always keeper considerations to be made year in, year out. Let us know. Hit us up in the comments or on Twitter at Double Move Sports. If you need some help come draft day, you can always check out our rankings on our website, doublemovesports.com. Updated those last week. And as always, guys, give us a subscribe on YouTube. If you like the show, hit that like button. Anything you can give us on YouTube, greatly appreciated. We're making a big push right now. Huge. It's crazy, man. Shout out to the community. Shout out to everybody listening and watching. But Alex, any anything else before we jump into it here? A lot of big topics that we need to hit on today. Before we jump in, Steph, I want to mention Thrive Fantasy. They're a daily fantasy yes. sports app for player prop bets. They've eliminated the need to do countless hours of research because they're only going to ask you about the top tier athletes in any respective sport. I know right now the NBA playoffs are coming up and there's a lot of good props for those games, it's points and you know points plus rebounds plus assists, and it's only going to ask you about the main guys. Super fun to use, um, and then football is coming up, so we're going to be talking a lot about Thrive Fantasy and our picks in the app. So don't miss out. Download it today. We're going to drop the link in the description, or you can go to ThriveFantasy.com. And when you download the app, if you use code DMS, you are going to get twenty dollars if you deposit twenty dollars or more. So twenty bucks on us for free. Again, it's Thrive Fantasy. Uh, make sure you prop up today. And it's such a great app, man. It's clean, it's easy cool. to use, and it's, not, it's very cool. It's not like you have to sift through all these like you know bench guys. Uh, you know, look at all these crazy yeah, metrics. It's like it's is Lamar like, Jackson you know, going to run for eighty-seven and a half yards? Over under, you make your pick. It's as simple as that. It's as simple as that. It's the easiest way to do props, and I I like props better for NBA. NBA fantasy is a little bit. It's just the way that the nature of it. You got to check every day and set lineups. I stay away from fantasy basketball, but I love doing prop bets in basketball. So last chance, guys, with the playoffs starting this week uh, to get in those NBA prop bets. But Alex, let's jump into it here. And we're going to start off with a question from our last video. Shout out to Blue Skull 78 He asks, hey, can you guys break down Austin Eckler? Ecky, my guy last Ecky. year, got him in a lot of leagues. He helped me uh, you know, save my lineup pretty much in a lot of these leagues. Alex, how are you feeling about Austin Eckler this year? There's been a lot of questions about him with with questions about the Chargers offense, their quarterback situation. How are you projecting Eckler for 2020? And he is he a guy you feel comfortable with at the RB2 or even the RB1 spot? Eckler's very, very tough because last season he was phenomenal. He was the running back four in full PPR. He actually Unreal. would have been he would have been the RB12 last season with only his receiving stats. So we know he can get it done. He's got that upside to be an RB1. But for me this year, I I feel more comfortable with Eckler as an RB2 just because there's so many things changing in L.A. Phillip Rivers is gone. Melvin Gordon is gone. Justin Herbert and Terod Taylor are going to have some sort of split on that quarterback role. So for me, I look at Austin Eckler, and I think skill set-wise, he has the talent to get it done as an RB1. You know, he obviously has elite receiving capabilities, but like Steph, we were talking about it before the show. He is explosive in the open field. He's taking screenplays to the house. He's actually also like trucking guys over in the open field. He's small, but he's powerful. So I believe in his skill set. I just don't know that the volume is going to be there through the air, which is really what makes Eckler super valuable. Last season, he had 108 targets. This season, I think those target numbers are going to come down. I have him somewhere from 80 to 90. I can check on that here in a minute, but I, I do have the targets coming down and the carries going up by about 30 or 40 in fantasy football. The targets are more valuable than carries for running backs, especially in PPR leagues. So I have them at my RB 13 right now, right outside of that RB one range. Um, but I would not be surprised one bit to see him jump into the top 12. He's, he's like a 
wide receiver that has like a quarterback rushing floor. He's one of the safest first or second round running backs to me. He's a safe RB2. If I have him as my RB2 and I'm going running back, running back, that feels great. I think he's right above that that tier break where then we get into Todd Gurley, Leonard Fournette, Melvin Gordon. And we'll talk about uh, Gurley a little bit more later on and, and some of the RB stacking strategies. But you got to love Austin Eckler in any sort of PPR for that receiving volume and that efficiency. You, know, you said it, 132 carries last year. That's that's like what a, a high volume rushing quarterback. That's what they put up on the ground. 132 rushes, and that should go up. It should as the veteran RB one on the depth chart. I have him conservatively projected for 170. I've seen guys projecting him for for 200 or more, but that's 11 carries per game. He should exceed that, um, and he could easily exceed that if he goes back to that usage that he had during Melvin Gordon's holdout those first four games of 2019. He should see the most snaps. He was only on the field for 57% of snaps last season. He's not going to make his hay between the tackles, even though he's running behind a top 10 offensive line now with the acquisition of Brian Balaga, one of the best right tackles in the game over the last five seasons. We've seen enough from Eckler to know what he is. He's one of the most efficient receiving backs in the NFL. He's a little guy, but he's extremely explosive. 95th percentile burst score on player profiler. He can get upfield in a hurry, and you see that on Sundays. Listen to some of these efficiency metrics. He was 13th in fantasy points per touch. He led the league in yards per touch. You know, getting getting these explosive big plays on checkdowns, swing screens, even running routes from the slot when they go three or four wide. He faced six or fewer defenders in the box 62% of the time, which was the fifth highest light box rate amongst running backs. So that that for me is where things are going to change based on the dynamic shift that's happened in LA. I'm expecting Eckler to see more seven and eight man fronts with this Tyrod and Herbert experiment. Defenses aren't going to be expecting a, uh, you know, Chiefs or Falcons offense from the Chargers. So I think the pass volume will go down. <laughs> we talked about Rivers so much about, <laughs> he, he's the check down God, it seems like. <laughs> and, and I do expect the 11 touchdowns that Eckler had to, to come down a bit just yep. because the pace of play is going to be different. Do you see this, Alex, being a conservative, run-heavy offense like I do? Yeah, I think it is. There, to me, there's really two narratives that people are talking about against Austin Eckler. One is Justin Jackson and Josh Kelly, and the other is Tyrod Taylor slash Justin Herbert as the quarterback and concerns there. So for me, the Justin Jackson and Josh Kelly concerns are a little bit overblown. Like Justin Jackson last year in the games when Melvin Gordon didn't even play was getting six carries a game and two receptions a game. So for Jackson, that's true backup running back workload. I think that does go up a little bit this year. But then with Josh Kelly, who comes in as a rookie in round four, I think maybe he takes some of that goal line work that Melvin Gordon had last season. But Eckler is trusted on the goal line. He can get it done around the goal line. I don't think a rookie in round four is just going to walk in and take first and second down snaps and goal line work on this team. So Anthony Lynn was actually a running backs coach. That's the Chargers head coach, Anthony Lynn. He was a running backs coach for 14 years prior to getting his head coaching opportunity with the Chargers. So he knows what to do in the running back room. He's going to see that Austin Eckler is clearly the most talented guy. He's a veteran who has the most experience on getting it done around the goal line, getting it done through the air. I really think that Eckler is going to get the lion's share of the workload in this backfield. And it's worth mentioning last season when Melvin Gordon was active with Austin Eckler, Eckler was the RB5 over that span. So you can't That's tell crazy. me Justin Jackson and Josh Kelly, the combination of the two is going to be a better player and a bigger threat for touches than Melvin Gordon. So I think that's overblown. And the second piece, which I think is a little bit more concerning, is the pace of play in the offense. But Tyrod Taylor, I mean, he's he's done it before. He's checked it down to the running back, not as often as you know Phillip Rivers did, but when he was in Buffalo in 2017 – he had the 12th most pass attempts to the running back position in the league. And LaShawn McCoy had 59 receptions that season. And Eckler's a much better receiving back than LaShawn McCoy. So I wouldn't be surprised mm -hmm. to see Eckler still push, you know, 70 receptions, which for me is enough for him to get into that RB1 consideration. All the reports that I'm reading from as far back as the 2020 combine training camp that just started up are statements from Anthony Lynn saying that Justin Jackson will be, quote, a key part of, end quote, of this Chargers backfield. And how he wants to use Eckler, he's been mentioning that he wants to use Eckler as a receiving weapon and not their primary rusher. He wants to make a one-two punch in that backfield. 
If Jackson had produced more last year in that span, I would be so much higher on him. He's had his moments. You remember in that playoff game yeah. um, in 2018, he stepped up when, when Gordon left with injury. But to me, he seems more like an Austin Eckler backup than a workhorse back or exactly. a between-the-tackles power back, which is why we saw his involvement in the passing game actually decrease relative to his rookie season in his second year in the NFL. And then you enter early fourth-round draft pick, Joshua Kelly out of UCLA. Kelly has 15 pounds on Eckler and Jackson. He produced at a high level in college as a workhorse back, rushing for over 1,000 yards, getting involvement in the receiving game, putting up double-digit touchdowns in his junior and senior seasons. Very impressive college resume from Joshua Kelly. And he's the highest draft capital with a fourth-round pick. That's not anything crazy, but that's more than seventh-round pick Justin Jackson and undrafted free agent Austin Eckler. So I think based on... The coach speak, as much as I might disagree, Justin Jackson is the first man up in L.A. next to Eckler. He's probably the guy that I'm going to take the upside shot on in my draft. But, I mean, if I have to take a running back to carry the load and be a true workhorse in this backfield, it'd probably actually be Joshua Kelly. He seems to me like the the real Melvin Gordon prototype really? player with the skill set of a workhorse back. It's just the skill set. The skill set is different. I'm not saying he's anywhere near the efficiency of the other two guys. If Justin Jackson isn't producing... And Kelly's out there on waivers. I think he's a guy that I'm going to pick up and stash, especially with the the extra needed depth this season. So just keep your eyes on Kelly. It seems like Jackson's the two and Kelly's breathing right down his neck as the three. So it'll be interesting to see where it goes. If you're taking a shot in the last rounds, which one are you going with? I'll take Justin Jackson just because he's proven it and he's done it before. I think this year, especially a fourth round rookie might take some time to get worked in. I could be dead wrong on that. I look at those high value (laughs) handcuffs as like Pollard, Madison, Chase Edmonds. And Justin Jackson, we talked about him as like a half high-value handcuff because he could get the role if Eckler was to go down, but we still don't really know. So I, I wouldn't, you know, I'd rather take a shot on other guys in that range anyway. I'm probably out on drafting either Jackson or Josh Kelly this season. So if we're looking in that, you know, deeper range, let's talk about some wide receivers here. Wide receiver 25 to 40. Who are, and this, this is a question I saw on Twitter, who are the two guys in that wide receiver 25 to 40 range that you think are safe bets to outkick the ADP. I'll let you start this one Dude, off. Dude, I'm so excited. I haven't talked about Marvin Jones in a while. And right here <laughs> before drafts, I really hope no one from our league is listening because I'm looking to get Marvin Jones as my wide receiver three or four. If people in our home league are listening, I'm probably going to get sniped and I'm not going to get him. So the Marvin Jones hype, it hasn't stopped. Just because we haven't talked about him in a couple episodes doesn't mean he's going to fade into oblivion. But right now he's being drafted as wide receiver 37. So it sure feels feels like people are disrespecting Marvin Jones. And he has a long track record of being a very productive fantasy football wide receiver. And when you look at Marvin Jones, it's going to come in boom bust form. But his value is so worth it for your flex spot if you go running backs early or something like that. And his bust games, I say boom or bust, but his bust games aren't normally killing you. Um, He's usually putting up 9 to 12 PPR points in down weeks, which isn't what you're looking for, but that's not going to totally ruin your, you know, your week, like Will Fuller level one point in leaving the game. So just looking at last season, he had nine or more fantasy points in 10 out of 13 games, which isn't, you know, a great benchmark. You're not looking for nine fantasy points, but it's just showing you his floor is higher than people are giving him credit for as like a true boom bust guy because we all know he can take the top off. Um, and then, I mean, in 13 games last season, he was wide receiver 16 before he got shut down. Five of those games were also played without Matt Stafford. So with Marvin Jones, I think we saw his upside last season. He was on the cusp of a wide receiver yep. one. He was a high-end wide receiver two. A lot of those games were without Stafford. There's no reason for me to believe that Jones can't creep up and be a high-end wide receiver two or a low-end wide receiver one this season. Steph, I know you love Marvin Jones. I don't even know if it's worth asking. Like, I know you're in on him, but, like, is wide receiver 37? <laughs> I mean, are you comfortable with him as your flex going into the season? Oh, yeah, 100%. He's in that, you know, field stretcher profile type of guy. He's he's in a contract year this season, and he was on the field for 94% of snaps. That was among the highest in the NFL, and he was he was efficient with those opportunities. Like you said, he he was breathing down Kenny Galladay's neck in terms of of touchdowns on the season. I want to say he had uh, – you can you can spot check me on this. I want to say it was seven or eight to Galladay's 11, um, which was, was really nice to see from him. So, yeah, absolutely. When you're when you're in that, you know, dart throw range, deep wide receiver names, these are flex guys that have boom upside. You think of like a, a Hollywood Brown this year 
or you look even farther like a Christian Kirk, Deontay Johnson. I like Marvin Jones as the safest option of those guys because he's the he's the veteran name that's there. Yeah, Steph, Marvin Jones, nine touchdowns, nine touchdowns last season in 13 games. Kenny G had 11 in 16 games. So it's that's much more of a 1A, 1B than people want to admit. And people always use Marvin yes. Jones like three, four touchdown games against him. They're like, oh, well, like half of that production came in one game. It's like, yeah, but he's still giving you solid weeks on a week in week out basis. And then he gives you the upside that you're looking for that you're not going to get out of anybody else in that range. So I love the pick and it's not just last season either back in uh, 2018, he was the wide receiver 27 before getting shut down for the season. He only played nine games that year, but wide receiver 27 getting drafted as wide receiver 37 right now, that's still incredible value. And then in 2017, he was a wide receiver one in 2017. He finished the year as the wide receiver 12. So this is three years in a row now that he's giving you wide receiver one production, wide receiver two production, and wide receiver high end wide receiver three production. And right now he's being drafted as a wide receiver four. So to me, that just doesn't make sense at all. And when healthy, he is a top 30 player at the position. And again, it's much more of a 1A, 1B situation than people want to realize. In the eight games with Stafford last season, Galladay and Marvin Jones were separated by 0.9 fantasy points per game. In the eight games wow. with Stafford, they were wide receiver 11 and wide receiver 14. Yet somehow Kenny Galladay is being drafted six rounds in front of Marvin Jones <laughs> right now. It's absolutely criminal. So give me all the Marvin Jones in you know the seventh, eighth round as the wide receiver 37, and I will happily slide him into my flex spot to give me an upside guy who still has a pretty stable floor. Yeah, for 37, that's the question is who is a safe bet to outkick their ADP? Marvin Jones is definitely one of those. He's like the most reliable wide receiver three you can get your hands on. And another guy that I like, he's a little bit higher up. He's the wide receiver 27 in ADP right now. It's Devontae Parker. Let's go. I love him as a desperation wide receiver two or a weekly flex. He has upside to me to repeat near that fringe wide receiver one territory where he was. He's so good. He's tall, six foot three. He's fast. He was a wide receiver 11 in PPR last year, 128 targets, 72 receptions. That could go up this year, too. If Fitzpatrick plays all 16, we don't know what's going to happen with Tua, but Devontae's targets steadily rose throughout the season, and we've seen those opt-outs. I hate to interrupt you there, Steph, but that 128 targets could easily go up to 140, 150 this year. That's exciting. No, you're so right, and I'll talk about the quarterbacks here in a second, but he had 1,200 yards and nine touchdowns. And he can regress in all of those categories, the targets, the receptions, the yards, the touchdowns, and he'd still be a top 20 wide receiver. He was 13th in targets last year, fifth in deep targets, fourth in air yards, eighth in contested catch rate. We know he's good. We've seen the ceiling now. It just comes down to two things for Parker, and those to me are Preston Williams and the quarterback position. But with how hard Parker broke out last year, that fifth-year breakout, it's tough to see him just completely falling off a cliff and finishing outside the top 24. It would be insane for me to see that happen, at least with with Fitzpatrick out there um, and all the upgrades that the Finns offense and defense have made. The thing that scares me with Preston Williams, he, he looks healthy on Twitter. I'm taking it with a grain of salt, but... So far from what we've seen from camp, he looks healthy, running routes, one-handed catches, doing his thing. And with Preston in the lineup, Parker was the wide receiver 36. And then he exploded and was the wide receiver 2 from weeks 10 to 17. My bet is that he lands somewhere in the middle this year. I am mm. a Tua believer. Betting on Tua right now feels like a pretty safe bet. And if he comes in and he's great, or even if he's just okay, I think that's fine for Parker. If the hip bothers Tua or he you know, has some ramp-up time that he needs and it's Fitz magic again, then we're back to right where we were. We know the rapport is there with Fitz and Parker. A Mike Jacecki breakout could help open things up as well. Parker, to me, feels like one of the safer bets to beat his ADP at, at 27. I have him um, right in the cusp, like the, the 24 to 22 range. I like Parker a lot. I, at first, he was kind of low in my rankings and he's slowly been rising as someone I'm very, very comfortable taking as my wide receiver, too. And, Steph, you mentioned the splits with Preston Williams. I, I'm not as worried about Preston Williams and Devontae Parker. I mean, you look at the opt-outs. they got to throw the ball to someone. There should be plenty of opportunity for Parker, Williams, and Gasicki in this offense with Albert Wilson and Alan Hearns both opting out. And I think the biggest correlation with the poor production in the first half of the season was actually Josh Rosen. Josh Rosen – 
threw the ball 109 times last season. So he had about, you know, close to 20% of the Dolphins pass attempts. Um, he was in there early and often early in the season. So I think more of the struggles for Devontae Parker were <laughs> due to Josh Rosen. And also this team had no identity early on. Remember early in the season, they got blown out by the Ravens week one. They started fire sailing all their good players. They traded, you know, Minka and Kenyon Drake, and they were just shelling guys out left and right. So I think a lot of yeah. the problem with this Dolphins team was it took them a while to find their identity. And that came when Ryan Fitzpatrick was the quarterback. Now, this season, we don't know if Ryan Fitzpatrick is going to be the quarterback for, honestly, to start the season. I think he is. But to start the season or the whole season, I think it would make sense for Tua to come in if he really is healthy at some point um, in 2020. And it's not to say I don't believe in Tua as a player or a prospect. But like you said, that's very concerning for the pass volume because we don't know what the offense is going to look like with Tua. So with Parker, if you told me Fitzpatrick was going to start 16 games in this offense, I think Parker would be higher in my rankings than he is now I'm baking in a little bit of risk just because the volume could come down with Tua as the quarterback and this was a bottom third scoring offense last season so the bar is not super high for Parker to have you know the offense doesn't have to be even top half in the league for Parker to see a similar um, volume and scoring opportunity that he did last season they can still be pretty weak as a whole offensively and Parker can still produce so yeah, I think the garbage time could be there for this Dolphins team. Um, and they're going to be a much improved team this season. I think people are probably sleeping on them. I think they could get, you know, six or seven wins. Doesn't sound like a lot, but for the Dolphins, it's pretty decent. <laughs> Let's hear another one in that 25 to 40 range. Do you think is a safe bet to outkick ADP? So someone who isn't as safe as a bet, I wouldn't say, to outkick their ADP. Actually, a safe bet to outkick their ADP, but I don't think he's necessarily a safe bet this season in fantasy football it's cd lamb right now he's being drafted as the wide receiver 40 and i do not see a scenario where he is not at least a top 40 wide receiver now with cd lamb i think there's a reasonable scenario where maybe you draft him and you don't use him for half the season or he doesn't ever really produce to get in your lineup consistently but even with that being the case he could still out, he could still outkick his adp um, but with cd i just think there's so much upside for him as a prospect and him in this cowboys offense He's an incredible rookie talent, first of all. He was my favorite wide receiver in the class. He somehow fell to 17th overall with the Dallas Cowboys. And he was just too Unreal. good of a prospect for him to, for the, for Jerry to pass up. So, you know, you can literally get him as your wide receiver four right now in fantasy football. So for me, that's low risk. It's totally low risk. You're taking him almost in double digit rounds, and it's incredibly high reward for someone as talented as CeeDee Lamb in an explosive offense like Dallas. And there should be plenty of volume available behind Cooper, behind Gallup. I mean, there were 166 targets last season between Jason Witten and Randall Cobb, who are both gone. And something that I'm the most excited about with this Cowboys offense is their use of the 11 personnel. In 11 personnel, you have three wide receivers on the field. And last season, Dallas had three receivers on the field two-thirds of the time. And in Mike McCarthy's last season in Green Bay, he had – at least three wide receivers on the field more than two-thirds of the time. So I think there's a pretty safe bet this season in Dallas. We are going to see plenty of C.D. Lamb, and we could see a lot of him in the slot as well, taking over that Randall Cobb role. And Cobb actually did have a pretty valuable role last season. He played 69% of snaps. He had you know 55 yards a game, which isn't taking the top off for fantasy, but he was productive. And I think we can all agree that C.D. Lamb is a better football player at this point in his career than Randall Cobb is. You know, C.D., he produced in the slot at Oklahoma last season. I think I just read a report, actually, that he's going to be moving in and out of the slot in Dallas. So that should utilize his skill set really well, because at Oklahoma, about half of his production came in the slot and about half was out wide. So I think CD is going to slide in to this offense very seamlessly. And with his skill set, you know, he broke more tackles than any other FBS wide receiver last season. Damn. And he had over 20 yards per catch. So he's explosive. I think his skill set is going to be very, very good in this offense. And not that player profile comps are everything, but his comp on player profile is Jerry Rice. So the, the sky <laughs> is the limit for CeeDee Lamb. Not saying he is going to be Jerry Rice, but I'm surprised that is you pretty threw high that praise. <laughs> that is high praise. Yeah, that's that's nuts. I mean, to, I, I see CeeDee as being like a Debo Samuel type of guy where he has tons of utility in the offense. You can put him out wide. You can put him in the slot. I think the volume the is going to be way higher, though. That's the thing. Debo was good last year. I think CD's going to be similar with more volume. That's the scary thing with CD Lamb. Huh. 
I want to jump over to my player real quick because it's it's all kind of weaved together and it's funny I didn't actually see that you had CD as your second pick because mine is Michael Gallup the other Cowboys is that why you were laughing during my take <laughs> <laughs> well that and the Jerry Rice comp but I mean I, I have Gallup at <laughs> wide receiver 27 in my rankings right now in ADP he's the wide receiver 36 and finish as the wide receiver 23 last season I, I like him as a wide receiver to or flex and the whole case for Gallup comes down to this Cowboys offense. And essentially your your bet here is that CD Lamb is going to have a delayed breakout because he's going to be insane, but we talked about time and time again how all three Cowboys receivers can be productive this year. If Dak, like some people believe, if he can throw for another 4900 yards, 600 pass attempts, I don't see any reason why all of the pass catching weapons in Dallas don't have value at various points throughout the season. I have Dak projected for a little bit less than what he did last year, but with downgrades to their secondary on defense, the supposed improvement of the offense with the new coach and the new weapons, we could see Dak easily outperform that 2019 on the hunt for this new contract. Michael Gallup is he's he's prone to being a little bit more boom bust, which is why he's in this 25 to 40 range. But there's just so much to like with Gallup, who should only improve in his third year in the league. He's good. He's legitimately a good player. If you watch his tape. I'm working on a Cowboys film room right now that's actually going to talk about Cooper Gallup and what I expect CeeDee Lamb to do with Randall Cobb's role. And some of the plays Gallup made last season were just jaw-dropping, not only getting the ball near the line of scrimmage and making guys miss, but even you know making plays on the football down the field. Gallup's legitimately a very good football player who can do it all. That, that's important as well. He was seventh in yards per reception with almost 17 yards per reception. Uh, he, he was pretty safe from a receiving yards per game perspective. He had 79 yards per game. That was sixth in the NFL. To me, he's a safe guy that also has a ton of upside. He only scored single digits four times when two of those games he had nine points. So he's right there. So even if on the weeks that he does burn you, you're going to be all right for a guy that you're plugging in at a flex and getting as late as the wide receiver 36. And you talked about it, the, the stat that no one's ever heard before, the 190 vacated targets that are up for grabs here. I, I could almost see the volume exploding even further for Gallup. He was utilized heavily as a field stretcher. I think so, some of that will, will continue. I actually think he'll get pushed more into that field stretcher role with C.D. Lamb there being able to be effective underneath and near the line of scrimmage. He did lead the league in drops. He's going to have to clean that up a bit to fend off CD, but that's the bet that you're taking here. And if, if there's ever going to be a year for veterans to hold off rookies, it's it's 2020 with the shortened offseason. The schedule is so good for the Cowboys. 11th best schedule against the pass based on 2019 defenses. They start the year with the Rams, Falcons, Seahawks, Browns, Giants, and Cardinals. And the best part, the icing on the cake, and this kind of makes both of our cases a little stronger. Amari Cooper is going to be the one taking the primary cornerback in all of these matchups. So I, I, you love to see that for these these pass-catching weapons. We're very in, I think, this year, Alex, on the Dallas Cowboys. Cowboys offense. All their all weapons. Around. Even yeah, Blake Jarwin. Absolutely. Like, just everybody. Yeah, give me all the Cowboys offense. And, and honestly, Steph, like, I have all three Cowboys receivers statted out for over 100 targets. I have Cooper at 129. Wow. Michael Gallup at 113 and CeeDee Lamb at 106. So I think there's plenty of volume for all three of these guys. I have Amari Cooper as a wide receiver one. I have Michael Gallup as a wide receiver three. And I have um, CeeDee Lamb as a, wide, a low end wide receiver three. So I have all three guys as being very productive. And, and I've said it before on the show, it's a little bit of a hot take, but I think there's a very realistic situation where we see three Dallas Cowboy wide receivers in the top 30 at the position this season. That'd be crazy. I mean, they were pretty close to that last year. You know, when all three were in the game, um, they finished in the in wide receiver 31 or better. So it could certainly happen if everything carries over or improves from 2019 to 2020. Let's move over here. Let's talk about a guy who's firmly in that wide receiver two range right now is going as the wide receiver 19. So that's the late fourth, early fifth round. And it's Cortland Sutton. I, I've been a big Cortland Sutton truther. I love his ADP. Very happy with him as my wide receiver two or even a flex. And in 2019, he had a very similar stat line to DJ Moore, who everybody loves and is sitting at the wide receiver 12 right now in ADP. So DJ Moore had a 87 receptions, uh, 1,175 yards and four touchdowns. 
Cortland Sutton had 72 receptions, so a, a drop-off in receptions, but he had almost the same amount of yards, 1,112, and he had two more touchdowns and more with six. And, and Sutton is the only proven option in Denver with the rookies Judy and Hamler coming in. Both options combined with Fant. Don't scare me for Sutton, who produced with Joe Flacco and Brandon Allen at quarterback last year. I did a film breakdown on Sutton around midseason, and my main takeaway from the whole video, the whole film analysis of his 2019 plays was that he's proven to be quarterback proof, and he only continued to prove that as the season went on and when Drew Locke took over. He was top 20 in damn near every stat category in just his second year in the NFL. 15th in targets, 11th in deep targets, 17th in yards, 17th in yards after the catch, 10th in air yards, 9th in red zone receptions. There's not a stat category that's disappointing for Corlin Sutton. He should be a prime third-year breakout candidate who is currently getting drafted at his floor at age 24. I, I jumped on the hype train early in the offseason. I kind of saw this coming. And then I looked around. I realized I'm the only one on this Cortland Sutton hype train. Uh, Blake Hampton from the FTN Network. Uh, he does a lot of predictive modeling and, and analytics in fantasy. And he loves Sutton. And one of the biggest metrics he pointed out is yards per team offensive attempt. So that's the total amount of yards from a team uh, in each one of their plays. So we're factoring in pace of play. We're factoring in the yardage of the team. And Sutton was ninth in the NFL in yards per team offensive attempt. That was more than Julio, more than Kenny Galladay, more than Tyreek Hill. That fits right in with him being eighth in the NFL in target share last year. So as it stands, Sutton is the best receiver and most heavily relied upon option in Denver's passing game. And if Pat Shermer can get him in these one-on-one matchups, and then you add in all the other weapons, Melvin Gordon pulling defenders, and I think Sutton will eat. Uh, he's a fringe wide receiver one if Drew Locke ends up breaking out, but he should be okay if the wheels fell off because the wheels had already fallen off last season. He's the wide receiver 18 in my ranking, so right there at his ADP. Alex, do you agree with me? Are you high on Sutton? No. I feel like he's prime for a breakout. You're not? No, what? I don't. It's funny that you, you're saying he's being drafted as his floor because I think he's being drafted closer to his ceiling. And Really? I'm cold on Sutton this year, and it has nothing to do with Sutton as a player. I think he's awesome. Sutton's a beast athlete. If you watch the games last season with the quarterback issues, Sutton was putting up points in fantasy and in the real NFL because he was just making remarkable plays. But for me, like, he finished as the wide receiver 19 last year when he had a remarkable season, was incredibly productive, incredibly efficient, making highlight real plays. And this year he's being drafted as the wide receiver 18. So to me, it's more about Drew Locke. And how many times do we really expect Drew Locke to pass the ball this season? And how good do we expect Drew Locke to be? I know there's been a lot of buzz around Drew Locke and the mini breakout he had to end last season, but I don't really know what mini breakout people were talking about. He had one good game against Houston where he had 300 yards and three touchdowns and an interception, but that's when Houston's defense was like in shambles. Outside of that, against Kansas City, he had 200 yards on less than 50% completion percentage, zero touchdowns and a pick. That the was next the week snow against game. Detroit. Okay, the next week against Detroit was 192 yards, one touchdown, zero interceptions. But, like, 192 yards and a touchdown is not getting it done. The next week against the Raiders, 177 yards and a touchdown. That's in the, in the first game he played against the Chargers, 134 yards, two touchdowns and a pick. So it's like he had one decent game, and everyone's freaking out. And I think Drew Locke, I, I hope he's good. For this Broncos offense and the weapons they have, I hope he's good. But why do we think Drew Locke's going to be able to come in and support all these weapons? I get it. Last year they had bad quarterback play. But Sutton was all they had. Noah Fant was second on the team in targets with 66. Ugh. So this year, Noah Fant's going to take a step forward because he's not a rookie tight end anymore, and we know what happens with rookie tight ends. They're just not involved. Sure. They bring in Jerry Judy in the first round, and they bring in K.J. Hamler in the second round, and they bring in Melvin Gordon, who not only is going to get work on the goal line, but he's a pass-catching running back. There's not going to be as many targets for Cortland Sutton this year unless Drew Locke throws the ball way more than I think he's going to. So for me, this is not... Where do you have Drew Locke projected in terms of pass attempts? I'll check that out for you. I have Drew Locke projected for 540 pass attempts, which feels like a lot. Wow, because I I am at 510, and I'm still very high on Sutton. That's crazy. I have Sutton at 121 targets. I mean, I have Sutton ranked as my wide receiver 25, so I'm not totally out on him, but there's just so many players in that range with better offenses that feel safer to me. 
There's way more players in Denver, way more options to get the ball to. And Drew Locke is going to have to really break out to be able to support Sutton this season. To me, it just comes down to like last year, I get his quarterback play was bad, but he was all they had. And this season, you're bringing in these weapons. They're going to spread the ball out a little bit more. Unless the efficiency is like next level and they're suddenly a top half offense, which I don't think either of us are expecting the Broncos to be a top half offense. <laughs> I just don't know why, why or how we can project Sutton to be a top 20 wide receiver. The efficiency might be there, but the volume's not going to be there. I mean, he finishes a wide receiver two or better in 45% of his games last season. Average 14 PPR points a game with all those different QBs. I feel like he's a lock for, no pun intended, he's a lock for 100 <laughs> targets. And and that's oh. low. And that's low. That's that's where you're that's getting so him. low. Yeah, 100, he'll get 120 targets. See, I have no and doubt if he does, I mean, that's what he had last season. Right, when he was wide receiver 19 and he's being drafted as wide receiver 18. I feel like it's only going to go up. Yes, the wheels could fall off. That's something that we kind of know about all the Denver options. We, we've talked about that with Melvin Gordon, who I do feel like is the one actually safe option in this offense. Um, we can talk about Gordon more, but I, I'm high on Sutton. And, and like I, I feel like it can't get worse than it was last season. I'm not like totally fading Sutton to oblivion. If he falls a little bit down draft boards, if he's around later than he's going right now, I have no problem drafting him there as a wide receiver, too. If I stacked up on running backs, like I'm totally fine with that. But for me, I just don't see the upside there in this offense unless Drew Locke is a lot better than I think he is. Well, that's that's where the upside comes in, because what if Drew Locke comes in and he's great? Exactly. Yeah, so, I, I, I'm just not counting on that. Like I, I think <laughs> that's the, fair. It's all about probability, right? Like, I, of course, there's always, you know, a, a, a world where something happens. But I'm giving the world where Drew Locke comes in and throws it 600 times and throws, you know, Patrick Mahomes level breakout it doesn't even have to be there. So I, I'm not no. saying that, but I'm just giving that such a small percentage chance. I think Drew Locke's going to come in and be better than what they had last season. But to say it's going to be enough to really be that good. I just, I, I'm just not quite there yet. And I don't want to draft a receiver as my wide receiver too, as a top 20 receiver when I, it's not even about him. It's all about the quarterback playing the offense. I don't want to worry about that when I could go get DJ Chark, Tyler Lockett, oh, yeah. even T.Y. Hilton, some of these other guys that are safer. I, li I like the, the, the Chark option over him. I don't know about Hilton. I feel like he's safer than Hilton, but it's so annoying as fantasy analysts that Drew Locke only had five games. Such a limited sample size. It's it's really – I don't feel like we know if he's good or not. All right, Steph. So we had a little disagreement there over Cortland Sutton. You know, it's fine. It happens. It happens. But let's go ahead and move on <laughs> to some deeper names that I don't think we're going to be quite as passionate about. And maybe we will. We love these guys. But I don't think any of us are going to be, you know, turning people away from these players because the price is just going to be so cheap. We're looking at very late, deep flyer options at the wide receiver position. These are guys you can pick up pretty much in the last round or last couple of rounds of your draft. Steph, which names do you like in that very, very deep area, like wide receiver 60-plus this season? Yes, yeah, so these, are, these are our deep shots pretty much. The uh, you know John Ross was very high uh, for me as the, the deep shot name. Like if we put all these guys into a tier, he was probably the guy that I'm taking with my last pick if I'm going wide receiver there and want to take that upside shot. But there's been some concerns with him. He's not with the team right now. He's not with them at camp. Uh, he was placed on the COVID IR list. So that's something to monitor. Um, and with the, the injury concerns that are already there with Ross, kind of moved him down. I've already talked about Randall Cobb, another guy like really late that's dirt cheap and could actually end up being the one on this offense as like a, a safety valve for Deshaun Watson. So I'll throw a crazy one out there. Um, it, it's Brashad Perriman. We've talked about him all offseason, it feels like. And it's at the point now that we can't keep ignoring him. And the case we made for him is pretty simple. He's the last guy on the board that could feasibly be a starting weekly X alpha wide receiver from day one with, with Denzel Mims reportedly going to miss time with a hamstring injury. The report from Roto World says Jets coach Adam Gase said second round wide receiver Denzel Mims injured his hamstring while running routes in practice. Mims injury is reportedly, quote, more serious as he remains without a timetable for return, Gase even hinted on adding a veteran in the meantime, if possible. At this rate, the, the rookie remains undraftable. And so, bottom line here, Perriman's the guy. If you know, we know Jamison Crowder is going to be the the PPR receptions guy, but Brashad Perriman could be the the field stretcher. The you know, hey, we're in the red zone. We're going to throw it up for a guy on a corner out and, and get two feet in. I feel like that's Brashad Perriman right now. So. 
I know the uh, the gaze goo is there, <laughs> and that's gonna scare everybody away. But and and yeah, that's why you're getting him where tough. you are. That's the that's the one thing against Perriman if, is Adam if it's, Gase. So if it's not Crowder, if it's not Chris Herndon, then it's Brashad Perriman. And so I don't mind taking the shot there. I love the cheap value on here. Perriman right now going as the wide receiver sixty three with his ADP. Yeah, and I mean Perriman, they signed him this offseason to a decent deal. It's one year, but six and a half million dollars at the wide receiver spot's not anything to scoff at. So kind of a prove it deal in New York to say, hey, is that breakout you had at the end of the season in Tampa Bay real? Or was it just Jameis Winston <laughs> chucking the ball down the field as far as he can? But I don't mind it. I mean, Brashad Perriman's a guy who I've been kind of, you know, not hot or cold on. I think we were both a little bit hotter on him earlier in the offseason, but I'm glad to hear that you're you know, kind of picking up some steam with Brashad again. And with Mims being out, I think that was one of the biggest concerns is, is that alpha wide receiver one on the outside going to be Denzel Mims or is it going to be Brashad Perriman? And Mims being a rookie already in a weird in a weird offseason, I think it's pretty safe to say that Perriman's going to have a lock on that job. Um, but with my first guy, I'm going to throw out James Washington for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Right now he's going as the wide receiver 74. I've picked him up in the last round in plenty of drafts and – I think I'd rather take Din or I think I'd rather take James Washington at wide receiver seventy four than Deontay Johnson at wide receiver thirty nine or Juju at wide receiver eleven. Value wise, I know it's like free, so it's you know it's hard to you know Last miss out pick. on that value. But yeah, it, to me, I, I like his value more than the other two Steelers wide receivers. If I'm going to ch- take a chance on one of them with this Steelers offense rebounding, it's going to be James Washington. He actually led the Steelers in receiving yards last season. People don't realize that. It was a weird year without Big Ben, but he played 68% of snaps and had more receiving yards than Deontay Johnson. And no one talked about James Washington at all last season. His average depth of target was fifth in the NFL of all players with 50 or more targets. So he's getting down the field. And this was all on a team that was 31st in pass yards per game last season. You know, so there's nowhere to go but up. Big Ben in 2018 had this team at second in pass yards per game. So we know Big Ben's not going to throw it 689 times or whatever he did in 2018. But safe to say that this pass offense is, one, going to be more efficient, and, two, the volume is also going to come up. So when I look at the offense as well, Big Ben is coming back. And James Washington has a year of experience with Big Ben. Chase Claypool coming in as a rookie has never played with Big Ben. Deontay Johnson, as a rookie last season, really didn't get any time with Big Ben because he barely got snaps until, you know, week four or five um, when Big Ben was already hurt. So Washington has a little bit more of a rapport with him than some of the other guys. So I'm going to take my shot on James Washington late. I'm going to see what happens week one and two. If he's the one getting snaps, if he's the one getting targets as, you know, that Antonio Brown replacement, not Whoa. saying anyone's going to be Antonio Brown, but someone's going to have to get some of that volume. If James Washington ends up being the primary guy, I think he's a pretty good value here at the end of drafts. Could be a flex play and actually maybe get into wide receiver two range if he ends up taking a taking a really big hold of that spot. Hey, he's the he's the three as it stands right now, but there's there's some some worries for him with Chase Claypool. But for for the price that you're getting Washington at, why not pick him up if he's not on the field? If Claypool's out there, if for whatever reason he's just not getting target volume, then drop James Washington, pick up somebody else. But I do like that as a preemptive stash beat the waiver wire type of pick with James Washington exactly exactly and James Washington was a second round pick um, just a couple seasons ago so the draft capital was there and he really hasn't gotten a ton of opportunity because that first year AB and Juju were both there and they just soaked up everything Big Ben had to offer and then last season like I said he was fairly productive in a terrible situation so James Washington keep your eye out because he's not getting the hype right now but there's a pretty good chance that he's out there week one. And again, if he's not and it's Deontay Johnson, I'll cut him. No problem. <laughs> Here's the thing with, with Chase Claypool. This man looks like a machine. He has 25 pounds, 6 inches, and a faster 40-yard dash time compared to James Washington. So that's where the concerns come in from a measurable standpoint. Um, Claypool will be an interesting one to watch. I'm, I'm excited to see what he can do. I, I feel like he could be – he's probably the most boom-bust – profile guy out of all the the rookie wide receivers this year but my second deep shot name that I want to bring up and he's been one that I've grabbed actually more often here uh, over the last couple weeks and it's it's Paris Campbell right now ADP is the wide receiver 70 Paris Campbell for those of you who don't know he's a uh, second year wide receiver in Indianapolis I'm sure Alex this is music to your ears as our in-house Colts fan but if if there's going to be another Keenan Allen 
you know, we've talked about Jack Doyle is going to be the new, uh, the new Hunter Henry or like Antonio Gates, obviously not projecting him to be up there, but if he's going to take over that role with rivers, then if we're looking at who's going to be the, the next Keenan Allen, it actually seems like Paris Campbell to me over T Y Hilton because Campbell's primarily going to be operating out of the slot. There's already some concerns there for T Y Hilton. He's already a little nicked up limiting his practice reps it's not a bad bet to make here against T.Y. Hilton as a super deep shot wide receiver that's essentially free with your last pick. There could be some massive boom weeks. We could see Paris Campbell be the new plug-and-play like Zach Pascal who can fill in for that offense in some weeks if we see some other names go down. Campbell's one of the fastest guys in the NFL, literally. He, he ran a 4-3-1, 40, 97th percentile or higher in every speed burst type of score under the sun. He had an injury plagued rookie year, so we really haven't seen a ton from him. Uh, but who knows? Maybe he's he's just great when he's healthy. Kind of seems like this is like all the other when healthy guys we've brought up on the show, like John Ross, even like D.Y. Hilton. But everything we know about this guy is that he's explosive. So I think it's worth to see, you know, shake shake the can, see if there's any juice left in there on Paris Campbell at the beginning of the season uh, as their last pick in your draft. I don't mind it one bit. I think Paris Campbell has got a lot of juice. You know, he's a second round pick last season. And I know it's a little bit different, but the Antonio Gibson hype train this year, this is a really weird comment to make, but like that Antonio Gibson hype train is getting out of control. And it's because of some opportunity in that offense, but it's also because of his versatility as a running back and receiver and his explosiveness and speed and measurables. And I look at Paris Campbell, it's like, no, he's not quite as versatile as like a running back, but Paris Campbell can do it all. He's a gadget type player and in a better offense than the Washington team, Paris Campbell has those higher draft capital. He's also incredibly fast and explosive. The Paris Campbell hype train should be picking up some steam as well, because if you're just going to take a flyer, why not take it on Paris Campbell and see if he develops into the wide receiver two, or like you said, maybe wide receiver one in Indy if something happens to T.Y. Hilton. Now, Antonio Gibson does have potential to take over as a starting running back, which would be a more valuable role. But both of these guys, like know. you said it best, Steph, e even when you brought up Chase Claypool earlier with my James Washington take, this late in drafts, sometimes you just have to look for players that are freak athletes. You want to find guys that can take the ball to the house on any given play and be explosive for you. And if they can get volume to match – just how good of a football player they are and how athletic they are, that's how you find that value. So this late in drafts, I don't mind one bit taking shots on super athletic freak athletes. You mentioned it with John Ross as well. And just seeing if you can get some boom potential out of these players. But Steph, speaking of the the Washington team, I'm going to go with a guy I've liked for a while now, even dating back to last season. It's Steven Sims. Nice. Right now he's going as ADP wide receiver 82. <laughs> And he's proven that he can get it done before in this tough, weird, not good Washington team offense. He was the wide receiver nine over the last four games of last season. That's five receptions, 57 yards, and a touchdown per game over that four-game stretch. And I know it's a very small sample size, but Sims is free in drafts right now. So if you're getting a player that could potentially be a wide receiver, even a wide receiver three for your team with some upside – why not take the free shot on Steven Sims? I mean, what has really changed in this offense other than a better head coach, other than hopefully Dwayne Haskins getting a little bit better in year two? Like what else has changed in this offense? Really nothing at all. So I think Sims could easily be the number two target on this team. I actually have him statted out right now as the new as the number two target on this Washington football team. And I think he could get close to 100 targets this season. And who knows, if he gets close to 100 targets, if he's still as dynamic this season as he was last, he could be an extreme value in the slot for this team. And this is all with, you know, last year, Bill Callahan coming in and running the ball play after play after play when they were getting blown out. They were dead last in pass yards a game last season. They were dead last in scoring offense. I don't think this Redskins, not Redskins, this Washington team's offense is going to you know, take the top off in, in 2020. But I think from a passing perspective with Dwayne Haskins, there should at least be more volume. And with Kelvin Harmon going down, um, and he's going to miss the entire season as another guy who is an outside wide receiver, there could just be more opportunity for Sims. I know they don't play the same position. Sims is more of a slot guy, and Harmon was an outside guy. But they got to funnel these targets to somebody, and they can't all go to Terry McLaurin. So I know there's concern with Antonio Gibson maybe getting some slot snaps and sure. things like that. That hype train's getting out of control. But why not take the post-hype sleeper that everyone's forgetting about in Steven Sims? Dude, I, I love it. I, I like Sims a lot from a 
I mean, he, just, he showed a flash. So you think of like Ron Rivera is going to come in, look at what the team did last season. And I feel like Sims did enough to at least say, hey, I'm worth a shot in this team. I should be the wide receiver too on this depth chart behind McLaurin. He should get snaps. He played 63% or higher of snaps uh, or higher on snaps the le- weeks 14 through 17. He saw nine targets per game. I was actually pretty shocked to see the volume that he was getting. And that's what we like out of these slot guys. We like heavily used slot guys that are uber efficient. And that's essentially what Steven Sims is. So I, I love the case he made there. Definitely like him. And if, uh, let's say you're a big believer, maybe you're a, a Washington fan, then, you know, you believe in Dwayne Haskins stepping up. And, and who knows, maybe that all goes to Sims there as the, the other option. This should be a pass-heavy team this season. They should have many more pass-heavy game scripts than they did last season. I mean, they spent more time trailing than any other team in the league except Jacksonville in 2019. But Bill Callahan took over as the interim head coach. I think they were protecting Haskins a little bit. Oh, and yeah. They just ran the ball. Win, lose, down by 30 points, they don't care. They just wanted to run the ball. This season, I think with those game scripts, Ron Rivera is going to be a little bit more competitive and try to get Dwayne Haskins to air the ball out a little more. So the the volume for this offense should come up as a whole. And they play Philly week one, and Philly's secondary was not necessarily great last season. They do bring in Darius Slay. But if Darius Slay is on Terry McLaurin, there could be a lot of opportunity for Steven Sims week one. Throw him out there, see what happens. If he produces, great, you might really have something. And if not, again, with all these deep names, you're, you're drafting them, you're seeing what their snaps, their targets, their production looks like over the first week or two, and you're cutting them to find who those guys are going to be um, this season. Sims, Sims will football, be a DFS but, name that I'm sure we're going to be talking about a lot when we're looking at drafting. Oh, absolutely. Lineups. And this is another guy I want to talk about. We've been getting a lot of questions about him. He's not quite as deep as the Steven Sims, the Paris Campbells of the world, but Emmanuel Sanders yeah. is not really being talked about a lot. And a lot. Of, I feel like he's a very polarizing player this season. Some people are like, no, he's not going to do anything. He's kind of done. He's not going to get volume in New Orleans. And some people are saying, hey, Emmanuel Sanders is really good. Why is no one talking about him at all? So, Steph, for you, is Emmanuel Sanders someone you are targeting in drafts or even willing to draft in 2020? Probably not, honestly. Right now, the ADP is the wide receiver, 44. To me, San- so he's cheap. Sanders is, is the classic like waiver or streaming wide receiver. Just the nature of the way he plays and how he's utilized in offenses thus far in his career, he, he will be a you know boom-bust um, guy you can probably plug in on pass heavy game scripts but I mean that that role didn't have a ton of value last year Ted Ginn averaged 3.7 targets per game finished outside the top 90 fantasy wide receivers I, I think Sanders will be an upgrade there and that's why the Saints went and brought him in but Sanders only hit double digit fantasy points on the week three out of ten times with the 49ers He's, he's going to be like a poor man's Marvin Jones who Jones who we already talked about or, or like a Hollywood Brown he'll He'll be like a Demarius Thomas last year. Just say a veteran waiver name. You can plug him in in the right matchup. I wouldn't say draft him just because there's so many other. He's so boring. There's so many other upside league winners there at wide receiver and all the other positions at that point in your draft. So he's not really a guy I'm going to have any shares of really in in 2020. I'm going to name some other guys around his ADP. And with Sanders, it's kind of like you're either draft. He does have that floor, but he also will probably pop one or two games in the season. But one, predicting those couple games that he pops are going to be tough. Yeah. And two, the floor, to me, isn't even as high as the floor of some of these other safe wide receivers like uh, Jamison Crowder, Golden Tate. And he's going in the same range as Jamison Crowder, Golden Tate, Darius Slayton, Jalen Rager. Are you taking Sanders over any of those guys? No. No, I like the upside on all those. Same. If I want a, a floor play, then I'm going Crowder or Tate. So, yeah, no, that's, exactly. that's a perfect point. Exactly. The the floor play with Crowder and Tate is better. The upside play of Slayton, Rager, even CeeDee Lamb, who we talked about a little bit earlier. It's like, are you really going to draft Emmanuel Sanders over CeeDee Lamb? Come on, like, Sanders, what's the upside? To me, it's like, what is the upside? He's competing with Michael Thomas, Alvin Kamara, and Jared Cook for targets. The upside just is not there. He played 17 games last season, fun fact on Emmanuel Sanders. He only exceeded seven fantasy points in nine out of 17 games. So eight times you rolled out Emmanuel Sanders and he got you less than seven points. He lost you your week. So to me, it's just not worth it. It's not worth the risk. I don't think the floor is actually even there. And now he comes into a new team. He's a year older. I'm out on Sanders. Yeah, I mean, he's he's still at the age where he can get it done. But just in the current situation, you know, they threw 279 passes to the wide receiver position last season. And, you know, they they were lacking. Like, Sanders is a better wide receiver, too, than Ted Ginn or Traquan Smith. 
But Michael Thomas is a lock for 160 targets if he's healthy. Ooh. So if you break down the 120 targets left for the receiver position, how many of those are going to go to Sanders? Yeah, and there's this uh, the narratives they they do. They are narratives that I think are overblown, but it's worth mentioning with you know Drew Brees as the season goes on, his average depth of target heavily decreases. That's just you know what we're seeing from a guy you know, towards the the last couple of years of his career as well. So there's concerns there from a deep threat role standpoint in New Orleans. Let's talk about a draft strategy that I'm seeing rolled out quite frequently. I've been using it a couple times. We're gonna see here as we get our uh, you know the Double Move Sports Listener League going. We get you know, our, our home leagues rolling. How do you feel about starting running back, running back, running back? So the triple RB stack at the beginning of fantasy drafts this year. It's great. (laughs) (laughs) I would rather go robust RB with that triple RB stack than zero RB. Um, You know, I actually love it. I, I think there's so much wide receiver value later on in drafts this season that if I'm in round one and two and I can stack a combo like Kamara and Josh Jacobs or Barkley and Aaron Jones, and then add an upside guy in round three, like a Todd Gurley or James Conner, someone with a lot of question marks, but if things go right and they stay healthy, they could be an RB1. I love it. Imagine starting out with Saquon Barkley and Aaron Jones, locked in, stud running backs, and then you take a flyer on a Todd Gurley in round three. If Gurley ends up staying healthy and being utilized as often as we want him to be in Atlanta, you could have three RB1s. And to me, coming back in rounds four through six, there are so many wide receivers with upside there. Like pick up any combination of Chark, Lockett, AJ Green, Devontae Parker, T.Y. Hilton. Yeah. The list goes on and on. There's, you know, 15 names in that range. Pick up any combo of two to two to three of those guys in rounds four through six. And if you have those stud running backs to start your drafts and those wide receivers, you are looking nice, especially if you can come back around with Crowder, you know, Golden Tater, Marvin Jones as a safe floor play at your flex later on. So it's just so difficult to find elite running backs in fantasy football. So to me, take as many shots as you can when the value is there. Um, and I think you can always piece together your wide receiver two or flex spot if you need to, if you have those elite running backs. So for me, like, I'm not necessarily looking to go triple running back as my draft strategy, but if the value's there and it happens to fall that way, I have no problem with it whatsoever. That's Always let the draft come to you. Always let the draft come to you. And that's why it pays off to be a smart fantasy player because you know where the values are and when it's the right time to pull the trigger on a name. You know I preach stacking running back early. Uh, So I I don't mind the triple RB option. Uh, The question really comes down to, you know, opportunity cost for that third running back. Based on Fantasy Pro's current expert census rankings, Right now, the running backs that could potentially go in the third round would be Todd Gurley if he falls a little bit. There's some reports that we'll talk about with Gurley here in a moment. Uh, Leonard Fournette, Chris Carson, James Conner, Lev Bell, Melvin Gordon, David Johnson. Those are the running backs that you're looking at in the third round. I think I would take of those, probably Fournette, Gordon, maybe Todd Gurley there. The wide receivers that you're seeing in the third round that you're giving up would be you know, names like DJ Moore, which I I don't want to take any of those running backs over DJ Moore, but Keenan Allen, Mike Evans could be volatile. Juju Smith-Schuster could fall to the third. Amari Cooper could be there. Adam Thielen as well. So there, it's going to be a decision that you're going to have to make just depending on how your draft goes. But if you are looking at, you know, Keenan Allen, Adam Thielen, I don't mind going with Fournette or going with Gordon knowing that you can get a solid wide receiver in the fourth round and really just stack wide receiver for the next couple rounds uh, and end up with a haul there. I'm, I'm on board with, with Fournette or Gordon in the third. Um, I mean, imagine having the stacks, like you name some of them, but like a Dalvin Cook, Nick Chubb, Melvin Gordon, or a Derrick Henry, Josh Jacobs, Leonard Fournette. Yeah, think about this, like Clyde Edgerlair, Kenyon Drake, and then Todd Gurley. Like, that's such a good combo to start your like draft Like, you are going to tell people about your running back stack, and they're going to think you're in an eight-team league. And you're going to be like, <laughs> no, my team's just amazing in a 12-team league. So I'm good to go. That's like the kind of roster that your work friend tells you about, and you don't care whatsoever. And he's in, like, an eight-team league with his cousin who's 10 years old. <laughs> and you're just like, dude, I don't care about your roster. But you're actually going to have this in your league where you are in a competitive setting with your friends or workmates, or whatever, hopefully winning some money. So this is a possible strategy, and I love it. Like, coming out with those kind of running backs, whoo, that's hot. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about running backs that we can take later on, like the David Montgomery's, the DeAndre Swift's, Jonathan Taylor, 
names like that as well. If you want to wait around yep. and still get an upside shot, uh, don't mind that at all. But we're, we're talking about Todd Gurley here, third-round running backs. He's late second, early third at this point. There's some uh, some some headlines worth talking about here. Yikes. On Todd Gurley's Yikes. knee. Uh, I'll read it here. ESPN's Von McClure reports that the Falcons are considering limiting Todd Gurley's workload in training camp. So we're already there. We're already back to where the Rams were last season with Gurley, where they're limiting him, especially earlier in the season, so that way he can carry a full workload. Uh, the report also points out that Gurley walked with a noticeable limp during the early phases of the Falcons' acclimation period. His current ADP is the RB15. It's... Gurley to me is all based on how these reports go. I, I'm trying to avoid him with every fiber of my being right now. I feel awful for the guy. <laughs> and, and this is the case of the the names that if he's healthy, he'll be great. Like James Conner, AJ Green, T.Y. Hilton, Chris Carson. And I, I actually like him a lot in Atlanta. I've been on the Todd Gurley hype train. Are are you fully fading Gurley with these reports? Are you still you know, kind of waiting to see how things shake out? Only missed one game last year. I'm worried, Steph. I'm so worried about Todd Gurley. It's tough because he's only missed seven games in five seasons, which for a running back actually isn't that bad. Yeah, you said it. He missed one game last season. But these narratives are getting scarier and scarier, and it's just tough to know what to believe. It seems like last season there were all the reports about the knee and things like that, but Gurley came out and he was a high-end RB2, rushed for 12 touchdowns. The only reason he wasn't an RB1 is because he didn't get as involved in the passing game. And yeah. He seemed fine last year. His snap chairs were up. So, like, I, I'm just worried. It's like it's like the last straw for me. I just don't know why I would take Todd Gurley as an RB2 um, if there's this much concern about him. Like we just talked about, if he's my RB3 and I'm going to go RB, 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 I don't mind Todd Gurley as my RB3, but to have him as my RB2 and potentially have a player that could be going into the season barely able to walk is just really concerning. So, for me, like, I'll, I'll – I'll tell you about our dynasty league. I got an offer, Todd Gurley, and a 2021 first-round pick for Austin Ooh. Eckler in a full PPR league. And I don't think I'm going to take it because Gurley, to me, could – Yeah, I'm in win-now mode, and Gurley, to me, could come out and be nothing for this season. And if he's done this year, he's probably done for his career. We could see Todd Gurley retire after this season. Who knows? Ooh. But there's also a world where Todd Gurley comes out – and he's effective. Atlanta is going to use him. They signed him on a one-year deal. So that's the piece where I'm like, are they really going to shut him down when he is on a one-year deal? So it's just something you have to account for with Todd Gurley. You don't really know what Atlanta's going to do. You don't know how they're going to use him. Devontae Freeman averaged five targets a game last season. If Gurley can get that type of passing involvement in this offense, even if his touchdowns are down, he's going to be a high-end RB2 and RB1. So there's just so many factors with Todd Gurley. There's upside in this offense, but then there's also the the risk in this knee. And for me, like this is the icing on the cake. I wasn't really that worried about it. But hearing reports like this are not things you want to hear going into your draft week. And that's going to make me tilt in our draft staff. Like <laughs> if Todd Gurley's on the board, it's going to be really, really hard for me to take him. He, he's been a touchdown monster. He's been relatively efficient on the ground until about last year when he was at 3.8. But everything about Todd Gurley is an upgrade over Devonta Freeman last season, who finishes the RB20, sure. ran at 3.6 yards per attempt, 59 receptions. So the the upside is certainly there with Gurley. Um, we could be, you know, clowning ourselves here in, in a couple months if he just comes out and, and is what Todd yeah. Gurley is. Again, double-digit touchdowns the, the last three years. Like Here's the thing for me. I there. know I, I'm preaching how concerned I am, but for me, I think the upside is enough to where I don't feel comfortable with him as my RB2, but I don't want to buy so much into the reports that I erase him from my draft board. Exactly. So for me, I'm probably like bumping him down a spot or two just if there's a safer option behind him. Maybe I move Fournette in front of him because the risk is getting up there with Gurley. But for me, it's like more of a tiebreaker. If I'm sitting there and there's elite receivers like, you know, Amari Cooper, DJ Moore, OBJ, guys like that, Maybe I use this as a tiebreaker, and I'm like, oh, those receivers have less risk than Todd Gurley does, so I'm going to go with one of those guys. But if he's a value on my board, I'm still willing to take him, unfortunately. Yeah, he's not He's not going to be like a, a injury fade like James Conner, who I feel is way has way more question marks. And there's other names like there, like Benny Snell got a bunch of uses last year. Jalen Samuels yeah. vulturing in the, in the passing department. So I feel better with Gurley versus a James Conner for all those reasons. And the question really becomes, if it even is a question that we should talk about, who's the who's the handcuff? Who's the RB2 on the depth chart right now in Atlanta? Is it Quadri I got trivia for you. I got um, trivia for you. Who um, led the Falcons in rushing touchdowns last season? I actually know this one. 
because I know it's not Dang. Brian Hill. So it has to be Allison. Quadri Allison led the Falcons in rushing touchdowns last season with four and 2.3 yards per carry. So he was probably cramming it into his left guard on the goal line <laughs> repeatedly, and that's like the only run he got. But you're right. It's To me, there's no clear handcuff for Todd Gurley. You got Allison there, Brian Hill, and Ito Smith. I think the handcuff for Todd Gurley is Matt Ryan throwing the ball 700 times. <laughs> <laughs> so really it's more like uh you know calvin ridley or, or hayden hurst at that point in a really weird roundabout way that is correct well alex i think that's it we've hit on a number of different headlines here um i mean ha- this brian edwards hype that i am seeing over the last like four days is insane the henry ruggs hype is real too I'm really interested Rugs to in see, the slot. Like, allegedly, that's interesting. That's very that's appealing. Interesting. I, I feel like they're going to pepper rugs with targets early and often. We'll see what he can do with them. He's he's becoming a very interesting name, both in, in redraft and dynasty. But I think that wraps it up for today's show. What a fun episode. We got into a lot of different topics here. Anything else before we hop off? A uh, couple things. One, again, just a reminder, Thrive Fantasy. If you sign up, use code DMS to get an extra $20. For free money. $20 free money. Free, yeah, it's literally free money. Come <laughs> on, guys. If you see $20 on the ground, what do you do? You pick it up. Um, and then for me, last thing I want to throw out there is let me know in the comments what you think about that Dynasty trade. I have Austin Eckler. I was offered Todd Gurley in a 2021 first, full PPR. I want to know what you guys think, Eckler or Gurley and a first in Dynasty. Yeah, that's, that's one that's probably going to keep you up at night, tossing and turning. Uh, but guys, thank you all so much for listening and watching. Again, if you like the show, hit that subscribe button on YouTube. That's what we're pushing for right now. Trying to hit 1,000 before the season starts. We're right there on the cusp. Um, and again, if you want to hit us up, whether it's the YouTube comments or on Twitter, do that. We'd love to talk about it on the show here. And we'll see you next time. Peace. Peace.